If you would open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 18. Our text this morning is verses 1 through 33. And because it is such a long text, uh, what I thought I would do is as we move through the passage, I'd pause and then we'd read it uh, together um, as we move through the different points of the sermon. Let's pray together. Father, I ask as we um, open now Your Word to um, through Abraham see the Lord Jesus Christ. Through Abraham see Your glory. To see Your uh, self-sufficiency, Your omniscience, um, Your grace. I ask God that You would pour out Your Spirit. Um, give us eyes to see ears to hear, heart to believe, your holy word, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. The book of Genesis begins simply by saying, in the beginning, God, in the beginning, before the world was created, before the universe or angels were brought into existence, even before time itself, God existed. God existed alone. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the one triune God, He alone existed from eternity past. He dwelt all alone. There was no heaven. There was no earth. There was no matter. There was no space. God alone existed. There was nothing there was no one, simply God, from eternity past. And during this past eternity, God was alone. He was self-contained. He was self-sufficient. He was in need of nothing. If the universe, or if angels, or if human beings, or any other thing was necessary to Him in any way, then those things would have also have been called into existence from all eternity. God alone dwelt. God alone existed. And God was under no obligation to create. And when He did decide to create, when He did create, it added nothing to His character. Uh, it added nothing to His being, even to His glory. Nothing was added. He has always been all-powerful, all-wise, all-glorious, and completely self-sufficient. And as I'm going back and thinking through some of the words I just used, I, I used a, a phrase that I think would be uh, it would technically be wrong when I said when God decided, uh, as if God did not know that he was going to decide. So that would technically be wrong because from all eternity God has known and planned that he was going to create. But I'm simply trying to underscore that God is completely, utterly self-sufficient. God's creation uh, only reveals and manifests his glory that he already has in himself. And our worship here this morning 
adds nothing to His glory. Our best efforts at glorifying Him add nothing to His glory. He already has all glory in Himself. He doesn't gain from our worship. And so we are here this morning simply to declare back to Him what is already true about Him. It's right that we should do this. That we should declare His glory. That we should worship Him. Because He is all glorious. We're simply doing what is true. God, You are all glorious. You are worthy of worship. Therefore, we as God's redeemed people have gathered together to worship Him. All creation, every human being, um, must worship God. The sad reality is, because we are born dead in our sins, we would never worship Him if He did not first redeem us. And so we as His redeemed people, who have been changed, who have been transformed, who have been made worshipers of Christ because of His grace. We alone have gathered to worship Him. While um, most of humanity goes about serving themselves and forgetting the Lord. Had God so chosen, He could have never created anything and yet He would have remained perfectly satisfied and perfectly happy. God created simply because He chose to. I say all this again to say that God does not need us because He is self-sufficient. I love the way A.W. Pink puts it. He says, God is solitary in His majesty, unique in His excellencies, peerless in His perfections. He sustains all, but is Himself independent of all. He gives to all and is enriched by none. God loves for His people to gather together to worship Him. He calls us over and over again in the Scriptures to worship Him. This morning we were called to worship, to shout, to clap, to rejoice and exalt in our God through the call to worship. And we could turn to, to many different passages of Scripture that call us to worship God. Psalm 29, verse 2, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Psalm 95, verse 6, Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. We could go on and on. My point is, God calls us to worship. We, um, he loves for us to worship Him. But our worship does not add anything to Him. Because He already has all glory in Himself. So when we come, to he come here to Genesis uh, 18, when God appeared to Abraham, He came to receive worship from Abraham. And when the Lord appeared to him, we also know that this was the pre-incarnate Christ. 
who appeared to Abraham. And he appeared to him with, with two angels. So this is not the triune God. This is uh, Christ before, uh, before He was born of the Virgin Mary. Uh, he came. He appeared to, to Abraham. And he had these two angels with him. And in giving hospitality, Abraham is also giving worship to the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. And so look with me at the text. Uh, we'll read verses 1 through 8. And the Lord appeared to him, to Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, and he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the, from the, from the tent's door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three sheaves of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared, and he set it before them. And he stood by them under the tent while they ate. We don't often recognize it, but our worship is akin to what Abraham is doing. Our worship is also fellowship with God. We do not worship God from afar. God is not millions of miles away from us, straining His ears to hear us when we sing hymns of praise uh, to Him. In fact, there is no distance in terms of intimacy of fellowship for the Christian and our God. Christ came. Christ took on flesh. Christ lived here perfectly under the law and went to the cross, suffered, bled, died under the curse of God in order that that separation between us as sinners and God and His infinite, infinite holiness might be bridged, might be completely closed together. In dying for our sins, Christ rose for our justification. And so we have full access into God's holy presence. In officer training this morning, I was talking about the, the, the temple uh, and how in the temple... There was this great curtain. And when Jesus said, it is finished, while He was hanging there on the cross, the curtain tore from the top all the way to the bottom, opening up the Holy of Holies, opening up direct access to God. We do not need a priest. We do not need any created thing to allow us full access into God's holy presence. We don't need any of those things, uh, smells or bells or anything else, in order for us to draw near to God in worship. We need Christ alone. Although God does not need our worship, 
and it adds nothing to His glory? God sent Christ to seek worshipers who would worship Him in spirit and in truth. God enjoys our worship. And so while God is offering, I'm sorry, while Abraham is offering God uh, this hospitality and uh, in so doing also worshiping Him, God asked Abraham about his wife. And then God made a remarkable statement. God said to Abraham, I'm going to return to you uh, about this time next year, and your wife, uh, Sarah, she's going to give birth to a son. Now at this time, Sarah was 90 years old. And Abraham was 99 years old. Sarah was listening. She was inside the tent, uh, not making herself known, but she's listening to this conversation. And she hears the Lord say this. Well, she thought this was impossible. So she didn't believe. Rather, what she did was she laughed to herself. And so you see in verses 9 through um, 9 through 12, they said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah your wife will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent of the door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have this pleasure? So there she is. She's laughing to herself. She's not believing the Lord. But the Lord hears her. And the Lord uh, says, This is not too hard for the Lord. And so look again at the text, verses 13 through 15. The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear, bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. God loves to display His glory. God had made His promises to Abraham and to Sarah, and He wanted them to trust in Him. And even though Sarah is not believing, even though she is hiding there uh, in the tent, hiding behind the Lord, uh, he is. God uses her inward laugh that no one heard but her. He uses this to bring glory to Himself. And essentially, what God told to Sarah is that I, the Lord, know all things. I know your secret thoughts. Uh, We call this the omniscience of God. God knows everything. He knows everything possible. He knows everything actual. He knows all creatures. He knows every detail of our lives. He is perfectly acquainted with with every thought, with every word, with every desire, with every action. Both past and present and future. 
He knows us inside out. Psalm 139. If I go up to the heavens, you know me. If I descend down to the depths, you know me. If I go to the far ends of the earth, you know me. You know even the words on my tongue before one of them comes to be. Such is God's thorough knowledge of us. Nothing is concealed from God. Though God is invisible to us, we are not so to Him. He knows you. Do you love Him? He knows if you do. Well, God consulted with the two angels who were with Him. And He asked, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the the earth shall be blessed in him. This is in verses um, 16 through 21, where he asks this question. He goes on in verse 19, For I have chosen him, for I have chosen Abraham, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he promised to him. This question was not asked for the Lord's benefit. Rather, it was instructed to teach Abraham and also instructed to teach us how God preserves and propagates the faith uh, through family discipleship especially the family shepherd, the head of the household. Now, God still uses the Great Commission. We are to go to all nations. We are to proclaim Christ to all nations. But we are also to proclaim Christ to our families. And and as it says here in verse 19, that we may command our children and our household after them to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what He has promised to him. God loves to use people. He loves to use people to worship Him. He loves to use people to glorify Him. He loves to use people to bring disciples to Him. God uses means. And so also, God uses people to bring about His purposes. We see it in verses 22 through 33. Basically what's happening here is God told Abraham that He was about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah in uh, verses 20 and 21. And so God then intended to send these, these angels to investigate, send them down to Sodom and Gomorrah and uh, to see what was happening, even though God already knew uh, perfectly well what was happening in those two wretched cities. But God makes this known to Abraham, and He does this, first of all, to teach us through Abraham's intercession about the effectiveness of mediation, about the effectiveness of a mediator to prepare us for the mediatorial uh, ministry of Jesus Christ. Abraham is here pleading with God. And through Abraham's pleading with God, we see how our Lord Jesus Christ ever lives to make intercession for the saints. Secondly, God wanted us to learn that God answers our prayers. 
And that He uses the prayers of His people to bring about His purposes. And so this prayer here in verses 22-33, through 33, Abraham's prayer, one of the great prayers of the Bible. And so read along with me. Uh, or rather, follow along as I read. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are there? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city. I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I who am but dust and ashes, suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, For the sake of forty I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. He answered, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. For the Lord went and I'm sorry, and the Lord went on his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. This is Abraham praying to the Lord. He approached God passionately, he approached God persistently, he approached God boldly. And he was concerned that God not sweep away the righteous with the wicked. Now it turns out, as we'll see next week, that there was not ten righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, there was only one righteous person um, in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Even Lot's wife and his two daughters, it is evident, did not know the Lord. Here's the big point. God hears the cries of His people. And I'm going to back up to something that I had written out of my sermon this morning. Because I always am doing this. I'm scratching stuff out. And I thought, well, surely I won't have time. And I've got a little time. So I'm going to backfill. Because there was something that I disagreed with in Abraham's theology. Not in, not in the teaching of the Bible. Certainly not in anything regarding God. But I think Abraham had something that was not quite right. In verse... And I've written it out of my, my notes. I think it's verse 25. Yeah. For Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it that... Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just... Abraham thinks that it, it would be wrong 
for the righteous to die even in the judgment of the wicked. Sometimes Christians get caught in the judgment of God. Uh, the Lord Jesus addressed it. Remember the Tower of Siloam that fell? The righteous perished along with the wicked. Sometimes that happens. Uh, I've been thinking about this ever since Wednesday. I had a conversation with Warren Bridgman and we were talk, talking about uh, the state of world history right now and how the um, basically what's happening is there is a a battle going on between secularism and Islam. And secularism and Islam are fighting against each other. Sometimes we say between the West um, and Islam. But Christians are getting caught in the middle. And um, Christians are suffering uh, both from Islam and from secularism. Uh, Christians do suffer when God brings about um, His righteous judgment from time to time. But at the same time, God will always be faithful. And God will always deliver the righteous even as they go through the flood of judgment. For they will not receive the end, the final result of the judgment, for they will be delivered safely into God's hands. So I wanted to correct Abraham's point, uh, theology a bit at that point. But here's the big point. God hears the cries of His people. God uses the prayers of His people to bring about His purposes. How exactly God uses our prayers to bring about His purposes? Well, that's a mystery that will remain a mystery on this side of heaven. It's an amazing thought. God uses my prayers to move history. God uses my prayers to change someone else's life. How does that happen? I don't know, but I know that He does. Or how can a sovereign God who has planned out in, every, in, in the, the, the smallest detail all events of history and yet use our prayers to bring about His purposes? We could offer an answer, um, but by definition, uh, because we're talking about the mind of God, I think it would be inadequate. Uh, uh, but it would maybe point in the right direction, but would certainly not answer the mystery of how God uses our prayers to change history. We cannot answer in complete detail. But God indeed does hear. God indeed does answer our prayers. I love that uh, the ladies sang about uh, the effectiveness of prayer during the offertory. I love that we sang Psalm 5, that, uh, that God hears our prayers. So, pray to God. Don't be negligent in your prayer life. Pray passionately. Pray persistently. Pray boldly. Because God hears you. Bring your requests to God because He loves you so much. God is self-sufficient. 
but He loves using people. He loves employing people as means to accomplish His purposes. So my final question to you is, how is God using you? But I I won't stop there. As I was teaching the, the children about the Beatitudes, uh, I believe the Lord Jesus masterfully in the Sermon on the Mount teaches about a righteousness that none of us can attain. And at every point through the Sermon on the Mount, He is teaching them that they are unrighteous. That they need a righteousness that far exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. They need a righteousness that they can only find in Jesus Christ alone. And when I am speaking to you about your worship this morning, when I am speaking to you about how God uh, uses you to glorify Himself, or about how God uses you to make disciples, to bring disciples to Himself, or I'm speaking to you about prayer, at every point, I want you to remember that naturally, in and of yourselves, you won't do it. But God, in His grace, when He when He calls a person to Himself, when He changes them, when He transforms them, when He makes them a new creature, a new creation in Christ, when His Spirit dwells inside us, He changes us. He is the one who moves us to pray. He is the one who moves us to worship. He is the one who is at work in us. And here's the little, it's not a dirty little secret, I guess the what, the righteous little secret, the, the wonderful little secret, is that it is God at work in you, both to will and to do His good purpose. When He uses you, He also is working in you so that you will be useful for Him. Our salvation is by grace. Our sanctification is by grace. Christ is all and everything for the believer. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank You that He is at Your right hand ever making intercession for the saints. That He has sent His Spirit to dwell in our hearts. And He has um, has made us into new creatures. And not only so, He has also prepared in advance the good works that You have prepared for us to do. And not only so, You are at work in us to rule and to accomplish Your good purposes. And so God, we like Isaiah, say, Here I am. Use me. Here I am. Send me. Use me and send me in the power of Your Spirit. And so using us, and so sending us, make us effective, fruitful, useful uh, for Your kingdom. And God, help us not to be like the man 
who buried his talent uh, without investing it, but rather help us by your grace to double the work of your grace in us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.